0: I'm, I'm Brian Greer. Nice to be here with you guys. If you're not familiar with my organization, I'll give you just kind of a, a quick overview. But uh, TaxConnects is a um, professional services firm really focused in this sales and use tax space. Uh, there's a couple of different areas where we um, uh, practice and, and provide services to our clients. Uh, one is a compliance outsourcing service where we Essentially, become an outsourced sales tax department for our clients and uh, prepare and file the returns, manage the registrations. Essentially, act as a um, you know an outsourced sales tax resource for your business. And then we also have our consulting um, advisory practice where we address a lot of questions related to nexus taxabilities, VDAs, and the like. So that's a, a little bit of perspective on the business. Uh, Personally, I've been in sales tax for coming up on about 25 years now. So hopefully I've got some decent experience to to share with you guys here today. But a lot of times we get engaged in conversations with companies and they want to know, well, when should I start looking at, you know, a sales tax process or, you know, how long is this going to take? And so the idea here was just to kind of lay out some high level perspectives and steps but also provide kind of an overall time frame as to how long it might take to evaluate and implement some type of sales tax process. And probably similar to everything in sales tax, it's going to depend um, on your business, kind of where you are in your sales tax journey, and what some of the potential complications are. Um, that will dictate how long setting up a process will take for you. Could be anywhere from a month or so uh, to six months or more. So uh, the thought process here is start sooner rather than later because you you could find yourself in a scenario uh, where there's a lot that you have to sort through and it, it may take a little bit longer than you first realized. So we'll again talk about kind of those high level steps and some general time frames as to what you might expect. So the first thing is that when we start talking about um, you know, a sales tax process, whether that be a new process or revamping an existing process, there's typically some type of triggering event that leads to that. And we've outlined some of those here. Of course, one of the more recent triggering events, and I say recent, it's coming up on, I guess, five years now, was was Wayfair that uh, uh, probably most of you are familiar with. But new legislation, you know that was a big triggering event for a lot of people to look at their business, to evaluate their sales tax process, and to identify, determine if they needed to do something different. Uh, we also, um, outside of that, we see a lot of companies coming to us where maybe they recently acquired a division Um, And they're looking at evaluating the risk associated with that acquired business, so some type of M&A activity. Uh, We see companies just with a naturally expanding footprint, you know, in terms of hiring people in new states, um, you know, conducting business in additional states. Uh, But there's usually some type of triggering event. Where someone says, you know, let's let's take a look at sales tax and and really see if there's anything that we need to change or do differently from what we have in the past. So the first kind of step in all of this, and even inside this exposure review, there's several discrete steps that we look at as well, but. Um, when someone comes to us initially and in, in with one of these triggering events and they just want to get their arms around what their requirements are we generally start with some type of nexus review and I'll kind of highlight some of the different components here for you in terms of you know what we've operated under historically for you know the last 50 plus years has been a physical presence standard so when we look at determining whether you have nexus in a state um, historically and it's still true today it's still a component a piece of the puzzle we've looked at whether you have a physical presence in the state and companies some of that could be very obvious you know where you have employees uh, where you have offices maybe where you have inventory stored in a state Um, but also just traveling into a state can create that physical presence whether that be a sales representative traveling into a state um, it could be a, a service representative traveling into another state to perform some type of on-site training or installation, and it doesn't even have to be an employee. It could be a, a subcontractor uh, that's creating that physical presence for you in those states as well. Um, but there's there's some type of you know physical representation of your business um, in the state. Now, I referenced before the new economic nexus standards from a Wayfair perspective, which was in June of 2018. And again, most of you are probably aware of this, but um, you know what was set forth there and what we're looking at now is a little bit more of a bright line standard, whereas the physical presence standard is somewhat interpretational. The economic nexus standard um, is fairly clear from a state to state perspective, each state's a little bit different or could be different. But for the most part, we're dealing with $100,000 of revenue sourced into a state or 200 individual transactions or 200 individual uh, invoices sourced into a state, um, either of which could create um, a physical, or excuse me, an economic presence for you and resulting in sales tax nexus. Now, what we've seen recently is some states have, have started to pull back on the transaction tax thresholds and are really focused more just on the revenue thresholds. Um, but again, you, you uh, also need to evaluate and determine physical presence as well as the economic presence as the physical presence standards have not gone away. Um, so once we've looked at you know physical presence, economic presence, you've got nexus in a state, uh, kind of the second piece here is looking at um, whether or not those particular states tax your revenue streams. So you see a reference here in terms of uh, taxability of the the different revenue streams. And you may have seen that um, similar to Nexus, the taxability can vary from state to state. Someone that's selling software as a service in one state where it's taxable, it may not be taxable in another state. Similar to other products and services Um, It's not consistent across the board. So once you understand what where you have nexus uh, where your uh, Revenue streams are subject to sales tax collection You can typically uh, at that point at least estimate what your exposure is And we want to understand what that historical exposure is before we take steps proactively to manage the process For example, we may wanna do something different in a state where we have $5,000 of exposure versus a state where we have $500,000 of exposure. Um, But generally, this kind of initial evaluation uh, could take anywhere from from 30 to 60 days, just depending on how readily available some of the transactional data and and the revenue data is uh, accessible. But once we have completed that initial exposure review, someone has to make a decision as to what do we do about it. And oftentimes there's um, board members involved, executive team members involved. Um, So the decision process in terms of presenting the the findings and the recommendations uh, is going to take another, um, you know, roughly month or thereabouts. What we're generally finding is there's three approaches to managing the sales tax once we have identified what that exposure is. Um, and the approach here is going to vary from client to client and it'll depend on the materiality of the exposure. It'll also depend on some of the business objectives of the um, of, of, of your firm as well. For example, If you're looking to sell the business at some point in the near future, or you're seeking some type of outside financing where um, you're gonna be subject to due diligence, you're gonna be much more likely uh, to want to mitigate that sales tax exposure so it's not an issue under due diligence in the future. If you plan on operating the business just in a a kind of a go-forward basis, Um, You have no expectation to sell the business or seek outside funding. You might be more uh, willing to take a little bit more risk in the business and carry some of that exposure with you. So some of the options here in terms of just register with a current period effective date and just start complying prospectively. I've got a client right now that I'm working with that um, they've got exposure in 14 states, I believe it is, um, at least a handful of those, very immaterial exposure, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 of total um, even revenue in a, in a state over a couple of year period. It's not going to be worth a lot of effort to remediate the, uh, the sales tax exposure in those scenarios. So looking at a register with a current period effective date and complying prospectively might be a very fine option there. Otherwise, we could very easily spend more money in fees than the actual sales tax risk that we have over those prior periods. Um, Another option might be to to register with the correct um, effective date historically. The, The issue, and maybe not an issue there, but what will happen as soon as we use a historical date, for example, if we say January 1st of 2023, if that's the, the true um, start date of nexus and taxable sales, um, we're immediately going to have to file uh, the previous seven eight months of sales tax returns, report all the tax due, pay a penalty, be subject to interest. Um, so it, it it's not necessarily um, option. Certainly in all situations, it could be an option in certain scenarios. Again, looking at, you know, to some extent what the materiality of the risk is, because again, we could be in a scenario where the the effort and the fees and the costs associated with mitigating that risk outweighs what the actual risk is itself. And then some of you may be familiar with voluntary disclosure agreements. These are uh, formalized programs that each of the states have in place, whereby um, voluntarily coming forth and um, acknowledging to the state that we've been out of compliance. We want to get into compliance. Um, In terms of the voluntarily coming forth, uh, the states will typically uh, waive all penalties usually will not waive interest. I believe Texas is a state that waives interest. Um, but kind of the uh, the give and take there is that you're coming forth voluntarily to report the past tax due, and the states are waiving any penalties. In addition, the voluntary disclosure, um, and really probably the, the primary benefit uh, of the VDA is a limited look back period. And what I mean by that is when we come forward, most states will have either a three year or a four year look back period. So, if you have six, seven, eight years of tax exposure and you can come forward and voluntarily report three years in the state that has a 36 month look back period, in exchange for that, in addition to waiving the penalties, they'll cut off the last five years, you know, anything over that three year look back period, they automatically waive. So it's it's a great opportunity if you have exposure that goes back a long period of time. It's not necessarily super advantageous if all of your tax exposure exists within the last year or two. Um, so again, just you have to look at what the materiality is, you have to look at what the business objectives are, and certainly whether you've collected the tax or not. If you've collected the tax, regardless it has to be Remit it, but most of the time we're um, dealing with and working with clients that haven't remitted the tax and they're just looking for, you know, what are my options to get into compliance and to, to manage it prospectively. So, again, that's going to take some time to present those recommendations, those options, and decide how we want to clean up the historical piece of this. At the same time, as we're looking at how do we get on the right path, we also have to have a little bit of a forward thinking process as to, well, how am I going to apply the tax to the invoice? How am I going to apply sales tax within the shopping cart? So sometimes these go down somewhat parallel paths. It's not necessarily in a complete sequence the way we've outlined it here. But as we start looking at how do we apply sales tax, There's a couple of different options here as well. And again, depending on the business, um, depending on how many states we're in, what you're selling, how many invoices, um, those types of variables will often dictate which direction we go here. Um, As an example, um, again, working with another client, we find out that they are in 10 states from a nexus and having taxable sales perspective, they deal with very, very large um, dollar amount, but um, transactions or invoices, but not a lot of them. So we're looking at over the course of a year, maybe 50 or 100 invoices in these 10 different states. Um, That fact pattern lends us to a scenario where, well, maybe we don't need to purchase any specific sales tax software here, maybe we can just manage that within our existing accounting system. As long as we understand the taxability rules for the handful of products that we sell, and because we're dealing with a limited set of invoices, a limited number of taxing jurisdictions, we can also fairly easily identify the tax rate that applies as well. So when we're dealing with a limited number of states, a limited number of invoices, a limited number of um, taxable products and services, Um, we can start to look at um, just leveraging our existing accounting systems. Um, But as we progress into a business that is in every state, maybe they have hundreds of invoices a month, maybe they have a lot of different products and services with unique taxing rules, it becomes very, very difficult to manage that um, you know, at, out, out inside the existing uh, accounting process or even inside the existing shopping cart. Um, in those scenarios, we really have to start looking at some type of augmentation, whether it's a sales tax calculation solution specifically or perhaps just a tax rate subscription service as well. Now, some of the more uh, common solutions that we recommend and that we see clients utilizing, at least from a sales tax calculation perspective, include um, Avalara, uh, TaxJar, Thomson Reuters, uh, SureTax, Vertex, Sirtax. Um That probably covers 80 to 90 percent of all of the different sales tax calc engines that are in place. Um, But um, they can be very effective, certainly, in in complex uh, sales tax calculation scenarios. Um, I like to think that this is probably one of the most effective areas to apply automation and technology in the sales tax process is in this sales tax calc piece of the puzzle, um, however, when we start going down this path, we're looking at an IT implementation. You know, these are software solutions. And when we talk about, you know, implementing a calc engine, um, it could take several months um, to get that set up appropriately to make sure it's integrated with your um, shopping cart or with your invoicing system to make sure all of the taxing rules are set up correctly. Um, so it's not something that can typically be turned on overnight. It's going to take a little bit of time But it will automate uh, a very cumbersome part of this process uh, uh, prospectively So the next piece that we have to look at is You know, how do we get registered and how do we set up like an actual filing process now? in this this may seem like a very easy, simple process, and, and quite frankly, maybe at least the registration part is fairly straightforward and easy. Uh, the problem is that it can take more time than we expect. Um, if we look at the registration piece uh, specifically, I usually suggest um, a six to eight week timetable to get registrations completed. Now, some states, are going to be online, they're going to be instantaneous, and we can get them done very, very quickly. Other states, we're going to initiate the online application. The state's going to send a physical piece of mail to us. We're going to have to do something with that physical piece of mail and respond, provide some additional documentation. Some of the states, we're going to have a little bit of this back and forth. Uh, we also then have to set up the e-file account once we get the actual sales tax ID issued to us. So six to eight weeks maybe a little bit conservative. A lot of these can be done a lot quicker than that. Um, and I would also say that is a good time frame to think about when we have a U.S.-based entity with a employer identification number and when we have U.S.-based officers with a uh, U.S. Social Security number. You see um, reference here to corporate officers and responsible party laws. The the states are going to ask for you know a corporate officer and at least one one corporate officer with a social number. Um, a lot of times businesses will push back on that from the perspective that as an example we're an LLC. The whole reason for setting up the LLC is to shield the corporate officers from liability. That's that's all fine, but if you wanna get a sales tax ID number, that doesn't fly. Um, so the states want a individual person that, that they can hold accountable for sales tax purposes. Now this becomes really challenging if you're a foreign-based company um, and you don't have an EIN and or you don't have a corporate officer with a U.S. SOCH number. Um, I'm not aware of any way to get a sales tax ID without a federal EIN number. Um, So those foreign corporations uh, are typically required to get an EIN. There are some potential workarounds for not having a U.S. um, officer uh, with a SOCH number, uh, but in those scenarios, we're having to provide the taxing jurisdictions, uh, still a corporate officer, but we're providing passports, so foreign passports. We're providing foreign driver's licenses. Um, The states still want someone uh, that they can go to directly. Um, When we do that, that's a separate process from, from the online six to eight week process. And it's more time consuming and difficult to get those sales tax IDs issued when you're a foreign-based corporation without the requisite uh, U.S. corporate structure and U.S. employees. So don't overlook that piece, even though it, it seems relatively straightforward and easy. Um, we also have to make sure we've got a filing process in place. Again, sometimes this is thought of kind of after the fact or hey, it's just putting a number on a, on a form, what could be so hard? Um, but you got to make sure that you've got, you know, the right data coming out of your, whether it's a shopping cart, whether it's an invoicing system, maybe it's both. But you got to be able to get the data out of those systems, and you have to know how to interpret that data as well. Um, a, a lot of times, if you pull just a, a Shopify report, for example, um, it's not going to be really clear how you have to take that data and file it going to be really easy in a state like Connecticut where you have just a flat rate across the entire state. You just report overall revenue and overall tax. But when you get into states like uh, California where you have to itemize at the local level, um, you might be spending hours upon hours just interpreting the data. So you got to make sure you understand how that data maps to each of those individual returns. Um, Establishing the tax calendar um, initially is is kind of part of the registration process. So when you register, you're issued a a tax ID. And what we're talking about here in terms of managing that tax calendar is just having a a listing as to where you're registered and filing, um, but also the filing frequency, the tax ID, the method of payment, the e-file credentials to access the e-file site. Uh, And that taxing calendar could change over time. So your filing frequency uh, could be uh, mandated or dictated by the states um, to change from monthly to quarterly or vice versa. So you gotta stay on top of that and manage that part of the process as well. Um, Some of the states are gonna require local reporting as well. Um, You know, a good example is um, a state like uh, Colorado that has 73 individual home rule jurisdictions where there could be local level filings that you have to do including or in addition to the state level return. Colorado does have a a somewhat consolidated return and I say somewhat because not all of the home rule jurisdictions participate in that consolidated return and it's it's not the easiest return to, to file as well. So you just gotta be aware of some of those states where you might have local filing requirements. And then to also make sure you you have a a process for for managing and and resolving notices. States are notorious for posting these notices on their e-file sites. So even if you use a vendor that kind of subscribes to one of these auto-file options, where they take your tax data and auto-file the tax for you, they're not looking for notices in those e-file sites. A human person has to go in there and look for those, and then resolve those notices if there's a question related to a return. So, but if you look at the overall time frame, you've got this initial exposure review, anywhere from like you know a month or two. You've got another month um, to try to figure out you know what decisions are we making? How are we going to go forward? If you go down the path of, of purchasing and implementing a CALC engine, you could have another two to three months of setting up that CALC engine. Then you've got another month or so of um, you know, getting registered, setting up your compliance process. So again, this could be anything from two months to six months. And in the message we really just wanted to leave with you was, Get started sooner rather than later, and certainly where we are today, it's a great time um, to get a solution in place by the beginning of the year. So we're kind of coming up on I guess we've got what five months left in the year. So if you're starting a, the evaluation process right now, you'll be in great shape to have a new process set up by the uh, you know by the end of the year and ready to start January 1st. All right, thank you everybody.